0: Welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod here with Malcolm Brogdon of the Indiana Pacers and, and my second consecutive Players Association Executive Committee member. had your new president, C.J. McCollum, last week and Malcolm has been a VP on the Executive Committee for a few years now. Uh, Malcolm, how are you?
1: I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thank you for having me.
0: Of course. Of course. I I, I want to start here, Malcolm, and we're taping this on Tuesday. So if people listen to this before Thursday night, the 26th, you've got your water, water bowl, fantasy football, uh, draft essentially, which is, uh, it, it helps to raise money for your, uh, hoops for humanity pro uh, initiative, which is delivering kind of, kind of, clean water infrastructure in eastern africa a lot of other things in that part of the world and it's a pretty interesting event if you're going to play fantasy football you essentially can line up with you joe harris miles turner uh kevin herter some nba players some wnba players Uh, tell me how that works malcolm and 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 where you go to sign up for that before so it's thursday night 7 p.m eastern is the draft
1: Right. So the draft is Thursday night, like you said, um, and tomorrow is the last day that you can sign up. Um, you would go to if you want to be a part of it and sign up, you'd go to BrogdonFamilyFoundation.org, dot org, which is our website. Uh, there's plenty of information about that. There's plenty of information about, you know, the money that we get from the uh, from the you know, Water Bowl Fantasy Football League where that money will go. There's plenty of information about that, the clean water wells that we're putting in to the ground in East Africa and Tanzania and Kenya. Um, so that, uh, uh, it, you can learn everything you wanna learn about the whole cause um, if you go to the website and um, you know look up any information you wanna know.
0: No, that's great. And I, we're gonna talk more about that. It is uh, an incredible initiative and what you've done as a part of it going back as a young man Growing up, going to Eastern Africa as a grade school kid a couple times with your family and and seeing uh, for yourself the poverty, uh, the, the need for infrastructure there, and, and, and the role you've played. Um, but I want to start, Malcolm, with this offseason for the Pacers. And Rick Carlisle comes in as the new head coach. There is a lot to clean up. There's just there's just a lot to clean up from last year, I think, in that organization, in that locker room in Indiana. And Rick Carlisle kind of commands – listen, this is a championship coach, uh, certainly the most accomplished coach in the league on the market this year. A lot of young coaches getting their first crack at it, but, but really the only championship coach who is out there. And, of course, a UVA grad like yourself – Walk me through, Malcolm, the conversations you've had with Rick Carlisle, and and I think you two kind of, as really the two leaders of this team in this locker room. Uh, how 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 has that gone? W- what have you two done together to kind of start uh, preparing to 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 make the changes that, that are going to have to come for this team?
1: So you know, um, you know, I thought we. Got the best possible coach for us going into next season. I thought our front office did a good job um, in this selection of of Carlisle. He's a winner at the highest level, championship status, um, and he's gonna. He knows what he's doing. He knows, uh, you know, what style of play he wants to play, um, and he knows how to get guys to play together. And he's going to provide us with stability and experience in um, a leadership I think we need right now. Um, so I think we got the right guy for the job. Me and Carla, I've had a lot of conversations. Uh, we're talking basically once a week, um, and at this point, it's about just thinking through strategies. Um, he picks my brain about a lot of uh, aspects of the team, trying to figure out uh, how he's going to coach the team, and and you know, uh, you know what guys respond in different ways. Um, so that you know, for me as as the leader on the team, it's important to. Uh, be able to communicate with them for us to have open, honest dialogue going into it, um, and to prepare together. Um, this is a this is a group a group effort. That's what I've learned in the league. You got to be able to work with your coaches like you work with your teammates. Um, but you know, the team we we got together uh, in L.A. and played pickup. Uh, most of the guys, there were only maybe two or three guys that didn't come out. Um, and uh, you know, in the past we haven't di- we haven't done that. I thought it was important to, for guys to uh, play pickup to get together, to have dinner, um, for those three, four days in LA. Um, so we had a facility, it it worked out really well. Um, and I think it's going to be something that pays off at the end of the day, at the end of the season, we'll be able to look back and say, we started early. We started before everybody else did. Um, and I think those, I think those are the little things that will, that will really help us down the line. And then, you know, um, you know, Carlisle, uh, myself and their, you know, the older guys on the team, we've agreed that we're going to come back two weeks early. Uh, it's important that we're there on the 13th to uh, start pick up, start playing early, and get a head start. We're not a team. We're not the Lakers. We don't have a bunch of, uh, you know, honestly, champions that that can come in a during you know training camp day and you know start playing and uh, everything work out. We got to we got to you know bust our ass a little bit to, to get back on track. So that's what we plan on doing.
0: Malcolm last year, when things, when, when there's the strife that was there in Indiana last year and trying to figure out, trying to figure out with a coach in a locker room and a team in a pandemic year where all of a sudden you were limited in how you could gather as a team. Like sometimes there's, listen, every team has issues. Every team has issues. And it's how you work through them. Was that harder to do last year because of the pandemic? Because you couldn't go out maybe as a group to dinner. You couldn't sit in a film room and like you traditionally couldn't talk things out. Does that did that make it harder?
1: For sure. I think it definitely played a part. And I think it, you know, the pandemic and COVID overall, um, I think exacerbated uh, the drama that we had. I think it was just a tough time period. Everybody's going through something. Everybody has family members that are getting sick. Um, It just adds more stress to the situation, and there were more restrictions on the gatherings that the team could have and the amount of time that the team could spend together. So it was a tough time to uh, be going through sort of the the trials that the team was going through.
0: You know, Karras Levert comes in as part of that big four-way deal with Brooklyn-Houston, and obviously, you know, they find – luckily, he gets his physical. They find – a a tumor essentially that they take out he's able to come back and play but you didn't have him for a very long time and and it's hard certainly um coming off that and trying to integrate him into the team you got into the play-in and 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 you're out there did you get a sense of really what this team could be like with him with Sabonis with Miles uh you know, kind of your core guys. Did did you really were you ever able to get a sense of last year of what this team might be able to look like?
1: Honestly, I wasn't. Um, I haven't over the past two years. I haven't gotten a sense of what the team can look like because when Victor was here, uh, he was out. He was out for a majority. He was out for all last season and came back. Or all the my first season in Indiana, and then came back last season just for a little bit before you know he was traded. And then Carris came, you know, towards the the end of the season. So Miles was injured when Carris came back. I mean, we've had injuries to uh, the big minute guys on this team, um, and it, it's just happened at non you know opportune times. So it's I haven't gotten a feel of what this team can become or or be.
0: Malcolm, when you talk to Rick Carlisle about what this team needs and what it should look like. What, what were the one or two things or have been the one or two things that you have that you felt were really important to get through to him about as a leader on that team, as, as one of the elite players there? We need what? We need this from you.
1: Structure. Um, uh, you know, I think that's one of the ways, just watching Rick Carlo, I mean, watching film on his teams, especially the Dallas teams, And even when he was here in Indiana, his teams thrived because he provided enough structure. Teams that have too much structure become robots. Teams that have no structure play too loose and are too reckless and uh, too up and down. Uh, Teams that have the right amount of structure have, you know, sort of the foundation that they need, uh, sort of the motion offense that they can always rely on and fall back on. But they also have the confidence and freedom to play their game. And I think that's what the balance of Rick Carlisle would bring to us.
0: Malcolm, having been drafted into the league in Milwaukee, you know you were there largely at the ground floor of what became a, you know, kind of a championship journey for that group. You were there. I think your last game in Milwaukee was the elimination game in the conference finals against uh, Toronto. When uh, you know Kawhi and the, those guys go on and 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 win, what was it like to see the Bucks kind of finish something off? That you were there uh, for a good part of that journey with you know most of the several I think certainly the key guys who were you know who were your teammates and guys you grew in the league with
1: uh, to be honest, it was bittersweet. there was a piece that was like, man, like uh there was no regret, so let me say that there was no regret, like, man, I wish I would have stayed. I thought I, I think everything one happens for a reason in life, and I also think. Uh, I made the best decision for myself and my family at the time. And there are no regrets in me coming to Indiana. I, I, I've enjoyed playing here. Um, but there's, you know, there's also a side to it that, you know, you're thinking, dang, like uh, I could have possibly had a ring. You know, things don't always work out if you, you know, stay in that situation, but I could have possibly had a ring. But you look at that team, you look at those guys on that team, Giannis, Chris, those guys work, man. They work hard. They've grinded. Um They've been through a few coaches. They've, they've been through some tough times. Um, so I, I have the utmost respect for those guys um, for sticking with it and, and grinding because I think, I think a guy like Giannis, he deserves it. He works incredibly hard. Um, that's one thing I always say about Giannis. He's an incredibly hard worker. Um, and then they have good guys on that team. They just have good people.
0: You, know, you mentioned Giannis, and I think the people who spent every day with him you know, obviously understand it the best, but where you see where he, in the ways he dominated in the finals and how he dominated, to see where he was as a player and how he kept working on his weaknesses and then turn them into strengths. And what I always really admire about him is you can't, like, if he throws an air ball, if he shoots an air ball, um, if he misses a bunch of threes, if he misses free throws, he comes back at you even harder. He doesn't you can see some guys who will go into a shell and the embarrassment of it kind of makes them pull back. And Giannis is gonna come down on the next trip and try to dunk it on your head. There's just there's a relentlessness about him that I think he sort of brings every day, always has, that really paid off for him, right?
1: Absolutely. His him being I think that's the perfect word for him, him being relentless. His his relentless approach towards the game is what makes him great. It's not the dunks. It's not, you know, the stare downs. It's not the funny jokes in the media. It's his approach every single day. He's relentless with his work ethic, with his discipline, um, with how serious he takes practice. Giannis is a guy who gets in practice and we'll have a, you know, we would have a 30 minute practice and have, you know, two five minute segments that were live and he wanted to dominate both of the five minute segments. Like he wanted to dominate, um, and that's the relentlessness that I think separates him from 99% of the other NBA players in the world.
0: To me, it's so interesting, Malcolm, of how you came in the league into Milwaukee. And every few years, there's a guy like you who, you know, you're a rare four-year college player who becomes you know, essentially an, all, an all-star <laughs> level player, but certainly a borderline all-star level player, a 20-point score In the league we don't see much of that anymore and here you were three times all acc player of the year in the acc defensive player of the year in the acc it wasn't and you're doing it at virginia like you weren't hiding at some mid-major and you go in the second round of the draft when you think back to it where you people sort of talk about this sometimes the longer you stay in school maybe the more they pick apart your game or take you for granted or when you were coming out or maybe thinking about after your sophomore or junior year, should I come out, what was the knock on you? What were they saying about you that that you just weren't you weren't a lottery pick, even though history shows, of course you should have been?
1: Yeah <laughs> um, it's funny you say all that you're, you're talking like you're me, but um, the stigma on me was I'm not athletic enough. Uh, the stigma was also bigger than me it was on. Virginia had a stigma of not producing pros so it was like no matter how well I played they were like uh, we've never seen these Virginia guys translate we've never seen them come to the league and been good pros Um, so there was a stigma on me but also a bigger stigma and it was hard I feel like me Joe Justin uh, we were able to break that stigma that's why you have Ty and DeAndre and these other guys they continue to break the stigma but they came after us and People then suddenly realize, like, oh, these guys are really good pros. Like, oh, no, we expect these guys to be lottery and first-round picks. They come from one of the best programs in the country. They've dominated in college. Like, no, we're going to respect them as if they came from a Kentucky or a Duke. We're going to draft them high and expect them to be really good pros. So I think it was a stigma personally, but also a bigger stigma that um, Virginia didn't produce pros, and we've, we've sort of broken that that glass ceiling.
0: And, Malcolm, here's why that's even dumber. Because all anybody in the NBA has tried to do for the last, I don't know, maybe six years, seven years, they tried to hire your coach into the NBA. Yeah. I mean, Tony Bennett has been the one college coach. Every year, teams quietly reach out to Tony. Every year, he says, no, thanks. I'm happy here. And so th- that always fascinates me. His players don't translate to the NBA. Well, then why did, why does everybody want to hire the coach into the NBA?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, why are you chasing him if he doesn't translate? Um, yeah, no, no, no. I knew he was in the run for the Milwaukee job uh, when Budenholzer got the job. I knew he was. his name was out there. He was in the run. Um, and, you know, I think for, for Coach Bennett, I think he's happy at, at UVA. He's not someone – it's not in his character to be searching for, you know, a greener grass on the other side. He's happy where he is. He's really trying to build something. He's trying to build a legacy. Um, he's trying to see his work through at, at UVA, and that's what – I think you got to love about him.
0: Yeah, and I think, listen, you, you, you come into the league, you win Rookie of the Year, um, and then obviously, like I said you, you grow with that, um, with that Bucks team and that core of Giannis and Chris Middleton. Um, when you got to the point where, you know, it's funny when you're a second round pick, your contract comes up quicker than mm-hmm. the first round pick who does his rookie extension. It's, it's, it's a different timetable, and you were on that. And it's usually rare that a second-round pick becomes the kind of player you do. And then there's just like a quicker decision that's got to be made about your future and financially how it works. And when you get to the point where you've got to decide between you know, the kind of financial opportunity that was going to be there in a the sign-and-trade with Indiana, $85 million or so, versus what it might have been to try to stay in Milwaukee – and, and either take less or just say, hey, you know, the message is financially you don't fit into the structure of what we're doing. And what do you remember about that crossroad? And it's, it was just a decision you had to make as a player that, that guys of your caliber typically don't have to make that early. And it just, again, it's because you went in the second round instead of the first and how uh, the extension structure essentially is set up.
1: Right. Well, one, let me say there's beauty in going in the second round. Um, one year, if your agent's good, he can try to drop you to a to a team that is a better fit or, you know, he can he can sort of shape which team you go to. And then your contract comes up sooner, your second contract. Um, but, uh, you know, during that period, I remember looking back on it, I took it very personal because it, it, for you as a player, people say it's not personal. It's just business This is how the business works. Yeah, but for these players, for us, we're being shipped out and moved to a different city and we're moving our family with us. So um, it's a completely it's completely uprooting your life. It is personal. But looking back on it now, I realize how much of it actually is just business. Um, I was really angry, you know, about not being able to stay and get paid because that was ideal. I felt like, man, I, I did my thing in Milwaukee. I played well. My third season, I was 50, 40, 90. Um, how could they not want to pay me, you know, my value, what I think my value is? Um, but what, you know, a lot of the time in the NBA, what you think your value is or what you think you should get and what you're going to get or what someone else has planned for you is completely different. Um, and that was a thing with Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee really wanted me. They wanted me to stay. They were upset when they lost me, um, but they didn't want to pay me eighty five for to stay. They didn't think I was worth eighty five to pay and stay Um which, looking back, maybe they were right. They went ahead and won a championship. I mean, at this point, there are no hard feelings. I do think it's business. I think it's personal when you get moved. But at the end of the day, they're making a business decision based on um, financial means and, and trying to win a championship.
0: Malcolm, I'm, I'm fascinated by this. Your senior thesis at the University of Virginia was what?
1: It was on clean water
0: you you partnered with a company that they, they essentially made like ceramic water filters in Africa. Right. And yep.
1: in the, in the Lesotho uh, sort of region of, of South Africa.
0: It's remarkable. I mean, I, I, we do have that in common. I did a senior thesis too. It was on the, uh, SPN's impact on college basketball. That's what mm-hmm. we were doing over in journalism school. So, you know comparable impact on the world uh Malcolm but no it's it's remarkable and so you you when when you come out of Virginia Chris Long who's your uh, another UVA great and obviously super bowl winning uh NFL player he had his water boys initiative which i think initially you partnered with right I it fit with, into right yeah, and then it, was, it broke yeah. off but uh and then now you have, the own, you have your own the, the Brogdon Family Foundation But this goes back to For you 10 years old With your parents Your, your mom's been uh, chair, The chair of the psychology department At Morehouse Your dad's an attorney um, You took a family trip I think at 10 And then maybe another As a young teenager To, to Eastern Africa w- What happened on that trip for you?
1: So when I was 10, I was able to go to West Africa, Ghana. And the second trip, I was able to go to South Africa and Malawi, which is southern East Africa. Um, and Ghana, I saw the poverty for the first time in my life that people were going through. It was a different level of need um, that I had seen or experienced. And then when I went back when I was 14 to Malawi, the need and the poverty was even worse. Um, and at that point, I, I, you know, even as a young kid, I decided I want to make a difference here. I want to help. Um, I may not have the means or uh, the resources or the connections to do it right now, but at some point I'm going to come back and I'm going to help in whatever way I can. Um, And then in college, I made it sort of, you know, you know, you you mentioned my parents and what they do for a living. Education was huge for us. So I took my I took my grades. I took my classwork extremely serious. Um, I got my master's. That's what my thesis was on and uh, really focused on clean water. And then after college, I partnered with the Chris Long Foundation to have Hoops Two O, and then I brought Hoops Two O over to my foundation, and have just continued the work trying to help people.
0: And I mean, we're going to see this, and like as climate change evolves in this world, and we see migration become a bigger factor in the, this global crisis, I. I I I only imagine the need for what you're doing Malcolm and for what what other people need to do clean water uh the ability for people to to be able to feed people in the world to be able to uh you know create clean water you know wells uh to build wells where communities where people you know where young people can go and be able to get clean water and not have to spend their entire day or their entire existence searching for it and then not be able to go to school, not be able to get an education. Right. Uh, I imagine that what you're doing and the, the need has only become, it's become more dire.
1: Absolutely. Um, and, you know, when you, you know, my foundation is a huge focus on uh, equity, gender equity. And when you mentioned, you know, kids being having to search for water, a lot of the time it's the kids in the family and it's the girls that's why the girls education is so heavily impacted that's why they're at such a disadvantage to get their education and um, to really excel in life to get job opportunities after school is because their schooling is is at a huge disadvantage they're not able to go to class because they're searching for water because they're out all day long having to do the grunt of the of the housework including going and finding clean water for the family so it it's it's becoming a bigger problem um, as climate change as as You know droughts especially in different parts of africa there there have always been droughts but then droughts are getting longer and longer um so it's definitely becoming um more of a dire need for you know people especially in those rural communities in africa different parts of africa to, to you know have clean water
0: malcolm when you when you talk right now within the players association and being a part of that executive committee and obviously there's a transition here. Chris Paul's had two tenures, essentially two four-year runs as president, and he stepped, you know, he did not run for re-election. CJ is a new president. When you're talking now with among your group and then you guys talk with the league, how much still to you is there, how much un- uncertainty is there still on next season? What it's going to look like for teams with vaccinations, with certainly even with most players in the league are vaccinated. Most team officials are vaccinated coaches, but we're seeing vaccinated people test positive. We're seeing them get ill, but obviously if you are vaccinated, you are, you know, in almost every case, you are preventing yourself from becoming gravely ill and that's the important part, but how the league manages this going forward, how you guys manage this with the league, what what is that conversation like right now and and, and how much still seems to be up in the air with One, what it looks like in the One,
1: they're, they're ongoing conversations. I mean, these are conversations in the past that would, before COVID, would end. Once the season started, everything was set in stone. We had a CBA. You know, it was sort of a written contract that everybody would abide by. Now it's a fluid conversation. Things are changing rapidly as the virus rates drop and increase. Um, you know, we, we have to make adjustments, you know, where we see them fit. Um So, you know, it's important. And, you know, we still have guys on, you know, we're saying they're saying about two guys per team are not getting uh, vaccinated. And that's been a big topic of discussion um, because there have been some that are like, no, everybody needs to be vaccinated. This isn't a question. This is killing people. Um, And then, you know, I think most players, even guys like myself that are vaccinated are like, no, it's a it's a choice. It's a choice. You can be vaccinated you can get vaccinated or you cannot but if you're not going to be vaccinated this is what we have agreed on if you're not going to get vaccinated your testing on the daily is is far more um you know throughout the season is going to be far more it's going to be more of a hassle for you if you're not going to be vaccinated you have to get tested more often um but like you said the, the the tricky part is even the vaccinated people um are getting sick so um that throws a little bit of a wrench and an unknown into everything um, because no one is safe, but um, I think testing is is really the key. That's the way we can catch it early and the way we can avoid as many disruptions this season as possible.
0: Absolutely. And so, uh, Malcolm, so you guys will get together, the Pacers will get together early for camp. You guys' plan is to get everybody back sooner. Um, and you, you look at the Eastern Conference. Listen, the Pacers have been a perennial playoff team. With Sabonis, Miles, you now Karras back at hundred percent this year, and with Rick, who I think history has shown, I think there was. Some, I remember Mark Cuban talking about this once that you know one of the reasons he hired Rick initially was his teams always get it. There's always a big bounce in year one. There's always a big improvement in year one with Rick Carlisle teams, and I think people would expect that with your group. You look around the Eastern Conference and you go, w- w- where does fit in? in the East, when you look at your talent, having Rick in, is this a team people kind of just keep forgetting about, but it's a pretty damn good starting five you guys have.
1: It is. It's a, it's a very solid, um, starting five. We have a lot of, we have five young vets. That's how I would describe it. Um, guys that have been in the league for anywhere from six to eight years on the, in that starting lineup. And, um, you know, guys that can play guys that are proven, Um, guys that are in their second contract so agendas and stats and all that really should be put aside it should be about winning and i think that's going to be the focus this season is just getting back to playing the right way getting back to playing together um and uh trying to win games i think that's that's the key Uh,
0: malcolm brogdon thank you for jumping in the water bowl fantasy football league you can sign up through wednesday the 25th you can go to the uh brogdon family foundation website you can go to your twitter account at malcolm brogdon 7 and there's a there's a brogdon foundation twitter account so you can click on the link there and see how you can get in there but malcolm good luck with that uh enjoy the rest of what is left for the summer and and i know we'll catch you this season
1: yes sir well thank you for having me
0: today's interview with malcolm brogdon has been fueled by gatorade whatever path you take to greatness. Gatorade is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. 30 for 30 podcasts and the undefeated present The King of Crenshaw. This four part series examines how Nipsey Hussle's life, death, and legacy impact the sports world, particularly the NBA. Here, DeMar DeRozan, Isaiah Thomas, and DeMarcus Cousins, among others, explore the realities of life as a black man in America. Nipsey's dedication to South LA and his community and how Nipsey inspired millions. The marathon continues. The King of Crenshaw, listen now on SiriusXM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to my guest today, Indiana Pacers guard, Malcolm Brogdon. Be sure to listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to also listen to The Low Post with Zach Lowe, The Hoop Collective, with Brian Windhorst, and it's football season, The Adam Schefter Podcast with Adam Schefter. We'll catch you next time.